You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Hello, please let me see your ticket subs for the double-edged double bill. This week, Nicolas Cage stars in Next. It's Mandy. week, Adam Thomas and Thomas Marion will come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of a double feature. Then both have picked in between 1 and 10 in order to seal their fates for the next episode. One will have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Let the chaos begin. I am Thomas Mariani, and I am recording this podcast in between shooting four to five movies in the Ukraine to pay off my dinosaur skeleton debts. That's, yeah, that's great. I'm Adam Thomas, and I'm going to name my next child after a comic book character. Uh, not a normal name not like not like matthew for matt murdoch but something really silly like jor-el or kal-el or you know khonshu or galactus, yep. galactus <laughs> that's, that's that galactus kid's gonna galactus. get so beat up oh shit. who's who's this mysterious biked figure coming in here with his um you can't see the video ladies and gentlemen but he's got all these like spikes on him and he's coming on his motorcycle and he needs broad for broad it's our lovely British guest, James Rodriguez, returning to the show. James, welcome back. Thank you for having me, and put the bunny back in the box. That sounded like an, a BBC ad. Put the bunny in the <laughs> box, coming up next on BBC4. If you say so. Sure, I mean, I'm the expert here, James, clearly. I know exactly what BBC programming is like. James, you're back here. We wanted to have you back on for a bit, and uh, you decided on our topic for the evening, which uh, the week we're releasing this is the birthday of one Mr. Nicholas Cage. And uh, we decided to do an episode around him, especially since we have not covered a Nick Cage movie since our very first episode where we did Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance. Wow, that's quite a film to cover. Right, it it made us be like, okay, we can't cover another one for another 137 episodes. (laughs) We have to wait (laughs) until just the right time that we can get back on the horse. Um, But you uh, kind of jumped on to doing Cage as a topic. Why Cage? As soon as I saw Nick Cage on the list of topics, I just thought, my God, I've got to have this one. Because, yeah, he can be seen as a bit of a meme, a bit of a shyster for the director video stuff. But I think he's one of those actors who, even when he does bad films, no matter how many he does, no matter if there's loads and loads and loads, he just seems to always do something interesting, something we can definitely talk about. It's not like we'll get him and and there's a film we'll struggle to make conversation about. I feel like even with one of his much lesser films, we're going to have at the very least something interesting in his performance or in the choice of what he wears and what hairstyles he has. There just always seems like something to talk about with him. I'd wager watch the movie Rage and then get back to me too. <laughs> anything to talk about because there's nothing to talk about with that movie <laughs> well i would say yeah that's the thing is i would agree with you 75 percent of the time like especially even with the bad movies there's, a, there's usually something fun it's when we get to sort of the era of the direct-to-video on red box movies that it becomes a lot more just like oh what the fuck like i could not 
carry a conversation about fucking stolen. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> or dying of the light or whatever the hell. Right, right, yeah, just like, like really boring yeah. movies, just like, hey, I'm here, I'm a cop, I think. I don't know. <laughs> I'm something. I got an inexplicably hot wife. <laughs> Those are real film titles. They sound like bland-ass name generator knockoffs. Yeah, I'm sure that the companies that make those movies just kind of have a bunch of stock titles. <laughs> they just trot out, basically. Sure. Um, but that's not the only part of Cage's career. I think his you know, image has kind of been tarnished recently because of that age. But that's why I wanted to, when to do this episode, is because he has such a fascinating filmography. Going from like his earlier days, working is just like becoming a part of his uh, family stead with uh, the Coppola movies, and then going into like becoming a weird kind of like character actor star to getting, like, an Oscar nomination that blew him up, and then an action star, and then, like, a Disney star, and then failure for a while. Really sad, sad failure. And now I think he's on a bit of an upswing, especially as of the last couple years. I know, Adam, you've had lesser words to say about him in the past. Yeah, well, you know, the thing is, when he was hitting it big, that was, like, in my teens, like, with Leaving Las Vegas and Face Off and Con Air and The Rock and all those. And I just thought they were all sort of bland. Like, it was basically this, I don't know, I never got into it. But now as I get older and I watch, like, his older, older stuff compared with some of the new stuff, especially the genre fair that's, that he's getting into now, um, I've grown to appreciate him a lot more, for sure. And then even going back and revisiting, like, Con Air and things like that and The Rock, I, I, I grew to really be a fan of him now. What would you say was the first one you saw Cage in? Probably Moonstruck as a young kid. Mm-hmm. Right. Like probably that. But if I the one that sticks in is Raising Arizona. That's the first one for me. That was it's like my dad loves that movie, and that was like my first Coen Brothers movie. And I was instantly just like, of course, <laughs> perfect. Yeah. But what about you, James? What was the first time you remember seeing Cage? Um, I think. Well, it was either back back in the day when we didn't have Netflix or a steady video collection. It was just forced channels and pretty much Russian roulette for whatever films were on. And I'm sure it ended up being Con Air or Face Off, one of those action films from the 90s, which was, in my opinion, actually quite good. I would say Face Off and The Rock are like the ones that stand out of that era. Um, Not so much Con Air. Or some of the other ones. It's so bad. It's so bad, but it's fun. Like I, I agree with Adam that like sort of the Jerry Bruckheimering of his career is really interesting, especially as that leads into like National Treasure and then like his like really big stardom stuff around like the early parts of uh, the two thousands. And uh, but at the same time, that stuff is also really what made him, as you mentioned, a meme. He's one of these actors where like despite the fact that he has such low restraints, people are just drawn to that energy of Cage because. I think even at his worst, at least it's like a unique kind of like either even bored cage is a bit more unique than like in those same movies will be next to like Thomas Jane, who looks like he has like no life left in him Ooh. as an actor <laughs> and other people like that. Um, as opposed to Nicolas Cage, just looks like he's more, you know, being contained in those movies in a way that's not interesting, but at least just looks like, you know, there's something in there because then he'll do something like one of the movies uh, we're talking about today and just be really weird and fun. But uh, let's go ahead and get into those, because uh, if you're new to the show, every week Adam and I end up picking randomly uh, a good and a bad feature, because we each have either two good movies, two bad movies, we switch up on the quality, and that gets us uh, the double feature we discuss for the following episode. So uh, first we'll be talking about our bad pick, which was my choice, which is Next, from 2007. 
And uh, then we'll talk about Adam's good pick, which is Mandy from 2018. So let's go ahead and jump in first with next. Chris Johnson has the ability to see things before they happen. So far beyond anything I'd ever seen before. I've seen every possible ending. None of them are good for you. On April 27th, you may think you know what the future holds. But nothing can prepare you for what happens next. So uh, next uh, came out April 27, 2007, um, and is based on a Philip K. Dick story, evidently. Um, though I'm not sure how... Very, very, very loosely. Yeah, yeah, yeah right, right. It's very loose. <laughs> not very sure. Um, and it was directed by Lee Tamahori, who's a New Zealand director, who did, like, Along Came a Spider and Die Another Day, along with Once for Warriors. Yeah, it's a movie that's basically about Nicolas Cage as a Las Vegas magician. He has the ability to see two minutes into his own future. It's a very that's-so-Raven-style premise. He can see into the future, but that life would be a breeze. But, as it turns out, um, he is chased around by Julianne Moore, who is uh, with the FBI, who wants to use his abilities to help them out, especially like counterterrorism kind of uh, capacity. And uh, he has to try and um, you know, save himself with the help of either Peter Falk at the very beginning, which is really weird. <laughs> yep. one of his last movies um, and then eventually his love interest Jessica Biel who is very awestruck every second that she possibly can be but like what? Oh. look at this guy <laughs> <laughs> give me a fucking break you know real quick so you know it's funny to me like there's the scene where of course Jessica Biel's whole character actually works one day a week for, for like underprivileged American Indian children yes. which naturally of course why not but I just love the part where, like, is he your boyfriend? No, he's just my friend. Why? Just because the way he's looking at you. And they look at Nicolas Cage, and he's got this fucking just rat's nest on his head and these horrible teeth. And, like, he's looking at her, and, you know, it's just, he, you know, hey. And he, she's like, she'd be like, hello. No, no, I'm asking, do you have any? <laughs> like, you know, it's just it's so unbelievable that these two what, just that doesn't do it get into it. Well, it does for me, but a woman of Jessica Biel's stature, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, this 25-year-old would clearly be interested in going on 50 at this point, Nicolas Cage, very clearly, with that hair, which that's really the only knowledge I had of this movie prior to this, was this was the basis for the Nicolas Cage's hair is a bird, your argument is invalid, as a meme. <laughs> which was one of the early internet memes I remember like finding so hilarious. And even that picture is still really funny. Um, but yeah, I didn't. I had not seen this movie until now. I know, Adam, you had seen this previously, right? Once, and I'll tell you right now, it's like I've never seen it before. Cause, and it's also like I haven't seen it twice. Because I'm very hard-pressed to remember much about it of any consequence. Uh, the main thing I remember is that he dodges a sniper's bullet that the crosshairs are of the gun aren't even on him. He just does a weird soft turn and the bullet messes up. Exactly. No. <laughs> it's so fucking stupid. And Thomas Kretschmann, just stop with this. Like, do better things, for God's sakes. Adam's a fan, clearly. We'll get to more of his thoughts later. Uh, but James, you hadn't seen this either, right? And uh, were you a fan of Next? I've never seen this film before. I was aware of it. I remember TV spots. I remember seeing the poster. 
I remember getting it mixed up with Bangkok Dangerous for some reason as well. But I went into it. I thought, oh, it's a cool premise. And I was thoroughly disappointed when they did fuck all interesting with it. No, yeah, this is definitely the part of Cage's career because this is not too long after National Treasure. And this is actually the same year as um, National Treasure 2, Book of Secrets. So he's still in, like, doing big blockbuster movies territory. And this feels like it's a movie that's been, like, in some sort of production closet for a while. And then they were just like, how about we do it with Nicolas Cage? Because uh, he's popular right now. And this is more of Bored Cage, but I'll say I found at least it consistently hilarious to me. Every time we cut to Nick Cage, and he looks like he's his own, like, cardboard standee in the theater promoting this movie. Like, this is the stiffest I've ever seen him where he's just standing there just, hey, I'm here, I'm a Las Vegas magician. Like, the idea that he's a magician is so fascinating because it's like, what stagecraft does this guy have? Because he has no... Like, when you see him on stage, he's just like, hey, everybody, welcome to Vegas. But to be fair, and I know it sounds crazy, I'm defending that choice because... But to be fair, at least he was only performing to like six people. Like clearly he's washed up. He's nothing. Nobody really gives a shit about him. So I'll give it that. At least there's that to it. Other than that, the whole movie is basically Nicolas Cage just wanting to get sweaty with Jessica Biel. That's basically the whole plot of the movie. (laughs) I know I've seen her before. Oh, yeah. And they meet. And again, look, and I'm not saying anything about Nicolas Cage's looks. I am saying a lot about Jessica Biel's looks because yowie wowie. But... You're telling me that this guy that her openly abusive boyfriend in the middle of a fucking public restaurant, you're telling me that he knocks out Nicolas Cage and within 24 hours, she beds Nicolas Cage. There's no, no, no. There is no universe, be it by Philip K. Dick or not, where that would happen. It is ridiculous. And when they're laying in bed, if she's got her her poor, sweet, beautiful, smooth face on his horrible chest hair, I just felt so bad for me. And then she had to kiss his, like, catcher's mitt of a face. Like, you know, it's just... Way to go, Jessica Biel. Like, this, give her the Oscar. <laughs> it, it goes back to that first scene where she actually walks into the diner and he's just staring at her like the most obviously creepy stalker and it's only because the dickhead ex from Battlestar Galactica comes in and acts even worse that he seems not the worst option it's okay he is drinking a martini at eight in the morning at a diner like that should have probably been a a red flag right off or especially how much time he spends like staring at her from the diner like i'm playing a cool even though i'm staring directly at you just to compete exactly i mean hard at her too like a hard focus on his face (laughs) like dude bro and his coat matches his skin color. Like, it's just all fucked up. Like, everything is just wrong about this movie. I, I would say, at least to me, there's, especially after we get that scene you talked about at the reservation, which is hilarious. After that point, I think it has this weird kind of, like, this is too over-budgeted energy to it that makes it kind of fun, especially when we get the scene where, like, Julianne Moore's, uh, who, by the way, can't play FBI agents, especially after, like, Hannibal. Like, why are you doing this again? Like, you're great, Julianne Moore. Don't play FBI agents because you're not very good at it. Yeah, yeah, just stop. Just stop. Um, and also, you know, my, my, hold on, though. Hold on, though. <laughs> my, my last little thing I'm going to say before I, I'll be quiet for a minute. 
so uh, back to the Jessica Biel thing. <laughs> Nicholas Cage is inducing. You're telling me that a hot dog joke gets her gets her gun like gets her gears revving. But if the Zen master order on his hot dog, he have one with everything. <laughs> and she's like, oh. <laughs> I love a man with a sense of humor. Clearly, she's attracted to that look of a bald man who's wearing a fuzzy cape. Yeah. <laughs> On his head, <Yeah>. yes. <laughs> but I think that's the thing is like, even the scenes where he's quote unquote like romancing her, telling her about like, here's my secret, I can see two minutes in the future. Like the thing with the TV is like, it's so funny to me, especially Jessica Biel has an equally baffling look on her face, just like, huh? Like, her hangdog expression that's trying to indicate, like, I'm so fascinated by you. It's so fucking funny. It's probably more of this, why am I doing this? <laughs> <laughs> right, clear something up for me, guys. Now, Nicolas Cage's power, there doesn't seem to be a limit on it. It's not like I can use it and then I have to wait five minutes to recharge. So, theoretically, he, if he can only see two minutes in the future, he could keep using it so he can keep stocking up and always see what's in the future. So why is Julianne Moore then saying, okay, if you wait two minutes and then put this in, he won't see it. I just don't get it. Yeah, no, that's a very good point. I, I, I thought that too, because I get the idea that you can only see two minutes in the future and that it, you know, from any given moment. But you got to figure every second would be two minutes longer, two minutes longer, two minutes longer, mm -hmm. two minutes. He would constantly be able to see two minutes into the future. So yeah, he... Well, yeah, I, it doesn't make any sense. Drug him. What? <laughs> the FBI. Slip him a Mickey. No, no, the FBI doesn't do that. At least not with some <laughs> random civilian who just banged the dude. They're going to put all their faith in her. Ah, just get here. And then there's also the inconsistency of at some points he stops and just like <gasps> has a clear vision when in other times he's just like shoot just above the guardrail and you get back and it's seems like sometimes he has a clear we see clearly he's got getting the instance and other times it's like not not even noticing it or he can at one point see all possible outcomes at one time because he makes copies of himself apparently <laughs> which i love that bit he turns into multiple man literally the <laughs> <laughs> oh literally literally and it's like wait what? I don't understand. Like, this doesn't... It Literally, the idea of the powers are, is just kind of like, uh, you can see the future. Well, how do you define it? Ooh, boogity. <laughs> like, there's no explanation really given. It's so fucking lame, dude. And, yo, know, the fucking ending. Well, hold on. Before we get to the <sighs> ending, like... Yeah, yeah. The, the yeah, thing yeah. I want to like emphasize is like I agree with you all that this is a very terrible, silly movie. But at the same time, I would strongly argue of this era of the bad Nick Cage, like especially bigger budget movies, this is one of the more watchable ones. Just on a fascinating level and and a you know an effects sort of idea because at the time, the special effects when he is becoming a multiple man does look kind of cool actually. It doesn't look bad, and there's some cool stuff in it. It's a it's a the base of it is a cool idea, but yeah, compared to like Bangkok Dangerous or you know Season of the Witch, the first or Ghost any Rider, even like yeah, people love that. People love how funny the Wicker Man movie is. Like that movie's mostly very boring. It's a really dull fucking no, it's movie. It's incredible. 
it's a two and it's a two hour and twenty minute long movie with about fifteen minutes of Nicolas Cage being a maniac. Yeah. The rest of it's just dull. <laughs> yes. uh, no, I, I gotta agree with you that this is probably of the post sort of Con Air face off Cage Assance. This is probably one of the better ones, which is really heartbreaking to say. <laughs> but <it's... laughs> would would you would you agree with that, James? There is, I think, some interesting things in like when Nicolas Cage and Julianne Moore are being the body cop duo of I think there's interesting things they might they could mind from that. And a part of me likes the whole Final Destination era kind of bits where Nicolas Cage is constantly dying. But then, oh, no, not really. It's a vision. Ta-da! Yeah, not going to play that 100 million fucking times. Right. They go with a bit of like a Groundhog Day thing to it. Yeah. Also, I love like my favorite thing about that whole element of that you're talking about is like all these guys are using these efficient guns and Julianne Moore too and then Nicolas Cage is walking around in this weird way where he's got like his arms like moving like he's almost bow-legged or something it's such a weird fucking like stance he's doing as he's walking around everyone basically now he's like one of those um tutorial characters in a video game where he's telling you how to use like here press x to shoot <laughs> That's what he feels like his role is at that point. I just think that there's a lot of like weird, funny bits, like the stuff Adam was talking about with like when Julianne Moore's trying to hunt him and the guy tries to shoot him, and obviously so far off of the target. Or my favorite bit when the car is coming down, he's like swoop down <laughs> at just the right time. Yeah, no, he, you're right. He's basically Restarby in the new Jumanji. <laughs> 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 that's, that's totally him. And uh, yeah, that whole scene. Which, by the way, he just bankrupted like that business that had those antique tractors and yes. shit outside. <laughs> that, business. that whole town is going under now. Nicholas Cage is the invention of oil. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He's like all the cool. He shut down the town. Nicholas Cage is the computers coming in to destroy like the, the t- <laughs> all the jobs for everybody. He's a chopping ball. <laughs> Technically, not by the end of it, though. Oh, well, yeah, that's true. We should establish the the ending bit (laughs) where, yes, after like this elaborate climax happens, a solid 30 or 40 minutes of time has elapsed. Um, All of a sudden we go back and it's like, oh, my God, everything from the point where Adam was talking about just could be all on his horrible, greasy, hairy body in bed. Like it goes all the way back to that. The last like 30 or 40 minutes didn't happen. It was just a vision because he can extend it out further when he's around Jessica Biel, I guess. That's the love they share. (laughs) The, the actual, the ending before he <gasps> wakes up again, it was stupid, but it was so ballsy that I wish they would have just stuck with it. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, shh, I'm going to get the ball. It <laughs> 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 die. <laughs> Great. This movie would have literally been like a top five for me if everybody would have just fucking died at the end. It would have been so awesome. I can do the one thing they wanted me to do. I'm so blinded by ass. <laughs> but but yeah but then they go all the way back and at that point honestly the last like five minutes after that happens we're just like hey Julian Moore I hope you all this other stuff I was just laughing I was like maniacally laughing at how like this is the stupidest fucking decision I've ever seen any big movie she's too. like and she, so you're telling me this guy that she just banged out of nowhere knows nothing about wakes up the next day he's like I gotta take off there's something I need to do she wouldn't be like are you fucking married or got kids or son? She's like, are you coming back? Yeah. I'll wait here in this shitty hotel for you. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? 
I'll find you. Might be a week, might be a month, but I, if you want me to, I'll find you. No, I'm good. No, you go ahead. <laughs> Take it easy. Same <laughs> fucking hell. It's fucking frustrating. The plot that we were essentially promised for the film is pushed to the side for sequel setup, just so Nick Cage can use his psychic powers to bang Jessica Biel. And am I the only one who finds that a bit skeezy, whether he intends it or not? And there's a scene where they discuss that he didn't intend it that way. A part of it feels like he's using his future powers to manipulate Jessica Biel and so they can get together. Absolutely. Like, yes. she the scene of them manipulating her to where he's seen all the possible outcomes of how to get together with her. Like he, he's yeah, no, he's a total just dirt bag. Like he's, he's awful. And, and again, why is Peter Falk in this movie? For one, it makes no sense. And two, when Julianne Moore confronts Nicholas Cage at, at Peter Falk's really awesome chop shop, by the way, where he's <laughs> True. got pool and she comes in, and Peter Falk like gets in between them, like, "Hey, you uh, let me, you want me to take her out for you? What is he gonna do? All she has to do is stand to his left. He's just gonna keep saying, oh, just one more thing. Uh, just one yeah, more oh, thing. I, I just, I'm sorry, I forgot. Uh, your hair was terrible. Um, <laughs> fucking, yo, just stop. You know, the thing is. I'm more okay with where Nicolas Cage is now in his career, which is kind of doing whatever the fuck he wants and really not caring if it's a big hit or anything anymore. He just, he really picks and chooses kind of like he does a lot of paycheck movies. You can tell, but it also pop up and like Mandy color out of space, you know, things like that. But like this era of Nick Cage, I'm so glad is over. Like the, what wig is Nicolas Cage in this week? sort of movie like thank yeah. god yeah when we're getting stuff like knowing or season of the witch drive angry shit like that we're left behind right left behind where it's so much more of like wait we have to pay off all these debts that he had which obviously that's another big part of the nicholas cage legend is i spent way too much money on castles and dinosaur skulls and all this other shit books he paid like two million dollars for the first superman comic right yes he bought the most haunted house and a massive grave for him and his girlfriend. Yes, he did. <laughs> he did too. Oh, yeah. Why not? <laughs> you know what I mean? Fuck it, dude. He's so far out there, man. He's gone. Like, fuck it. Just <laughs> That's why I like him so much. You kind of just got to celebrate the craziness that he has become. Oh, no. One of my favorite, like, events I've ever been to was at South by Southwest. He was there with Joe. And I saw... It's like a conversation yep. with Nicolas Cage, and it's one of the most magical things I've ever seen, where he's just like, so yeah, when I did Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance, I was influenced by Kabuki Theater, um, and also I do secret missions for the UN, um, and also a lady tried to bite me because she thought she was a vampire. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite story is that apparently he woke up in his bed and there was a naked guy at the end of his bed wearing his leather jacket eating a popsicle like apparently that was true someone broke into his house and did that 
But that was his butler or something. There's no question. Nicholas Cage gets super. The butler's like, I'm gonna wear that fucking jacket as soon as he passes out. I don't know. It was actually it was Kevin Duran on the set of Primal, just like Kevin. You can't keep doing this. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think we've talked as much as we can about next. Um, we'll go into final thoughts here. I'll just initially state that, like, like I said, I think this isn't like nearly the worst one we could have done. It was so taxing trying to like find a bad movie. Like, two bad movies that you lovely patrons at patreon.com slash pod, like James, we should mention, um, voted Yay. between this and Primal. Like, having seen Primal and just seen a couple of those straight-to-video movies, I was so dreading, like, I don't want to do one of those. And this is a much better alternative in terms of, like, it's not necessarily a great so-bad-it's-good movie, but it's just entertaining enough on a so-bad-it's-good level to some degree and also just some of the ideas that we were talking about. That it's like, this would be a totally, like, fun cable watch. I wouldn't have gone to a theater to see this. <laughs> but something like it on cable or on a streaming service, just, like, it's perfectly fine for that. And you won't, as Anna mentioned, like, really remember much about it, like, after a week or so. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it's, it, but it's, it's a laugh riot, too. Like, I, I just was laughing out loud several times, and I would pause it to go into the other room and tell my wife what the hell was happening. <laughs> and she was like, what? What? I'm like, no, you don't understand. Of course she works with Native American children in a fucking oasis, by the way. It's like the most beautiful, poor town I've ever seen in my life. They have just beautiful waterfalls and lush greenery. But <laughs> it's, it's it, no, I agree. It's not the, it's not close to being one of the best. It's not really one of the worst. I'd say it is probably the best bad fun one to cover out of his career at least of this era to where at least there is something to talk about there's at least you get laughs out of it and just uh you know just the ridiculous of it at all you know gives you something to at least discuss where something like bangkok dangerous or something like that where he's taking himself way too seriously uh, it's just it's those are chores to get through and what about you james your final thoughts on next um i thought it was in had an interesting story which it did nothing with and gave a boring alternative for i was frustrated by the end i was left wondering what was the point of it but you know what you're right i am a patron i voted for this one this is what my hard-earned pound got and i got what i paid for but it could have been worse i mean i watched left behind earlier today and oh my fucking god that was a nightmare to get through so you know what Thank you for not going down that route, Thomas. Like, I'd also say the other alternative was Primal, and I think we would have been in a worse place trying to talk about Primal, which, despite the cool premise of, like, Nicolas Cage hunts exotic animals, it's like a really dull movie <laughs> that's all on a boat yeah. and nothing happens, really. <laughs> but uh, before we get to our next movie, here is a promo for an ESO she can queue up right after hours. That was so bad. <laughs> wow. Hey, everyone. This is George Tripsis, co-host from the Metal Geeks podcast, along with Carrie, the Metal Geek, and Brutal Dave. Our show is where we bring the Metal Geek culture and heavy metal culture and mash it into the geek culture. Come listen to our show where we talk about movies, comic books, Disney stuff, and mostly about movies where I'm always right and Carrie's never right. Check us out at metalgeeks.net. and catch us on all your earhole listening podcast devices. I'm Carrie the Metal Geek, and I approve this message. All right, here we go with our good movie, Mandy. Under the crimson, primordial sky, the wretched warlock reached into the dark embrace 
You're a special one, Mandy. So what you gonna do with that thing? I'm going hunting. So what you hunting? It's crazy evil. <laughs> So uh, Mandy is uh, a movie that came out in 2018, September 14th, 2018, from director Panos Cosmatos, who I found out is the son of George P. Cosmatos, who did, like, Cobra and Tombstone, which I was not aware of until doing the research for this. Um, It's a second feature after Beyond the Black Rainbow, and it's a story of um, Mandy, who is played by Andrea Riceborough, is in love with Red, played by Nicolas Cage. They're married off in the secluded woods in 1983, and uh, Mandy comes across a wandering cult who has a cult leader that's infatuated with her, and they kidnap both Red and Mandy, and uh, eventually, you know, try and get Mandy to become a part of the cult, and then she scorns the cult leader who ends up unfortunately burning her alive and that starts a revenge rampage throughout the second half of the movie where Nicolas Cage fights off a bunch of like weird biker dudes that look like uh, the the fucking plague from Hobo with the Shotgun. Pretty much like the plague mixed with Cenobites mixed with whatever the fuck is going on. Yeah, that's a pretty accurate uh, pretty accurate synopsis. That's about the best you could do with this movie. This movie's fucking wacky. Uh, it's silly, but Holy shit, is this a movie a visual feast? Yes. I mean, honestly, one of the main reasons I picked it, don't get me wrong, I do like Nicolas Cage in it. This is this is a perfect vehicle for Nicolas Cage to be crazy Nicolas Cage. Like, it works perfect in the context of the story and how crazy it all is. You know, with, like, the drug use and just raging out in the bathroom in his underwear and that tiger shirt and all this shit. Like, it's fucking, it's nutty, it's crazy, but it's so goddamn fun and great to look at. I think what really helps that is that it's not just wacky rage cage. You get he's subdued and he's content with life with Mandy at the beginning. And you feel they're at peace and one with each other and you believe in their love. But once Mandy is unfortunately murdered, he justifiably gets into that rage. And the part where you really see the turn is that dazzling scene in the bathroom where all just that rage and hurt is just burst out. It's like he had that rage all along, but it was quelled. It was momentarily silenced. But now, there's that lid's gone. He's out for blood, and he's going to get his blood-soaked pound of flesh, no matter what it costs. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree that I think this has the two great flavors of Cage, because we talked about in Next, we get Bored Cage, which is like a... A sad sight to see, usually. But then there's Crazy Cage and the all-too-rare but masterful, like, genuinely great actor Cage. And I think you get those two later flavors really well in, like, the first half of the movie, as you mentioned, where it's Cage him being subdued and him being a lot more, like, emotionally invested with Andrea Riceborough, who we've talked about before, is, like, such a great chameleon of an actress. So good. Like, you could never tell me, like, oh, this is the same lady from Possessor. She blends into any role that she gets. And I think the two of them have a really, I agree, natural chemistry, despite how kind of weird they are. Like, even when they're under the stars and everything is sort of this weird crimson pink kind of look. And she's talking about, like, oh, what's your favorite planet? Saturn. Actually, I changed my mind. It's Galactus. (laughs) 
Of course he picks Galactus. Of course he does. <laughs> and in any other movie, that would be super dumb, but it's kind of sweet in this context, and it's kind of engaging, so that when we get the crazy cage after a certain point, it feels kind of earned, and also, like Adam mentioned, when he goes insane, it comes from, like, the grief. Like, it makes sense for, like, in this world that the, this cage would be just like, I lost the love of my life, and I've lost all sense of humanity, <laughs> and I'm going full hog. It's It really works beautifully. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And plus, I got to give it up to Linus Roach in this movie too, man. I think Linus Roach almost steals the movie for me. He's so good as that, that weird-ass cult leader. Of course, he's got that fucking album where he's the singer and all this stuff. And he gets nude because he thinks he's just something to behold. And I, I love that Mandy just cuts his ass down to size every chance she gets. Like, that was so good for me. That goddamn axe weapon that Red just fashions is one of the coolest on-screen weapons in a long fucking time. And that thing is badass. Especially the scene where he ends up uh, constructing the weapon and it looks like, like fucking Conan. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> it's like, he just knows how to do that. He just has the plans for that weapon. Like, how fucking cool. And But that it just fits, though. At no point do you question, like, why would he know how to do this or have this? It, it, it makes sense in, in the context and the reality of this movie. If you try to dissect this movie, like, well, why are these guys like demon bikers yet? They're not. And there's a bunch of drugs. And then this weird chemist who is in like basically like a airplane hanger in the middle. Of, like you can't you can't you can't try to give this movie real any real rhyme or reason. You kind of just got to go with it. The best way to kind of sum it up is like imagine if both your favorite album cover from the 80s and also that weird dude who has a cool painted van his van came to life along with the album cover. Like that's the universe this movie lives in. Is that. Yeah. You guys were all doing shrooms in it. (laughs) Right. For (laughs) sure. For sure. Look at the colors, man. (laughs) Like that's literally what it is. I think also what works really well on this film for me is that even when you're getting the bloody kills and cage lighting a cigarette off a burning decapitated head, it, doesn't forget that there's a tragedy underlining it. Like, he can be like Jupiter, he can be to have this destructive force of a hurricane, but it can't mask that he's lost the love of his life. No matter how many people he kills, the past can't be undone. It's like that biker says to him, he, she's still burning, and it's not Hollywood's idea of vengeance, where, oh yeah, I'll just kill these people and go have a spot of tea. No, he's fucked up by the whole thing. And you can see it in the final scene and when he's living out that hallucination. And it's incredibly sad. And I think Cage really sells it well. And also, it helps that Mandy is actually more of a character than your average, like, wife who gets killed and sparks, like, a revenge rampage kind of thing. I think if that performance didn't work nearly as well as it did, this would feel a lot more kind of like, oh, this is a sillier Death Wish sequel with, like, cool colors. It would be the movie Rage. It would be literally just a boring revenge film. I, I completely agree with you. But the fact that, A, just she's fantastic in it, but it's such a well-written, fleshed-out character for the little bit amount of time she's on screen. Like I said, I love that she's super fucking ballsy. Like, she is just like, nah, fuck you, man. Like, the whole time, like, this music sucks. Like, it's, it's really fucking like it gives her such a good character dynamic and it also it makes her more believable as someone that he would feel such pain for losing because you got to get the idea that 
she balanced him out. He balanced her out. They kept each other sort of in check. They were the perfect sort of mix of two people. You take one, uh, one thing out of that equation and then the other one just goes wild. There's no one there to keep him balanced. And he goes fucking hog shit crazy. And it, it, it's perfect. It works. They feel like your favorite couple that goes to your horror convention every year you love seeing. It's like, oh, these two are weird, but they're so cute together in their weird way. I think that's what really works yeah. about it. Um, but also, like, I agree about uh, Linus Roach, who is playing, like, a version of Manson. He, he looks like fucking Robert Plant, though, from Led Zeppelin. He looks a lot like, like it's That's very accurate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But what I like is the fact that, like, he constantly has, like, these, like, highfalutin, kind of like what you're mentioning, this ego about him. And it's so easily cut down by, like, Mandy, even the moment she starts laughing, she's like, shit <laughs> Even earlier on, even even earlier on before that one, like, one of his uh, lackeys is like, I don't know if I want to go out and, like, get this girl for you. He's just like, please. <laughs> He's such a little shit. <laughs> And the movie uh-huh. never forgets that all the way down to the amazing like climax of this movie where he's trying to be like, oh, I'm I'm something higher than you are. You can't really hurt me. And then I'll suck your dick, man. I'll do it. It's just like you pathetic little worm of a person. Yep. Oh, but how satisfying is it to see that little shit get its heads crushed so vividly? Yeah, it's it's so good. All the kills like really work, especially as like a horror person. Like there are some of these kills that are like astonishing. They're kind of like I, I know he. This was a big inspiration for Cosmatosis' like first movie and this movie is um, VHS covers from the eighties for horror movies. Like he could never rent as a child, but he was always fascinated by the covers. It also feels like one of those like grindhousey covers that you see in those like video stores you're like oh my god i want to get this and then you watch those movies later and most of them are just kind of boring and dull and the cover's way better this is that cover as well come to life just like oh this is everything you would have wanted in one of those vhs covers yeah i know i i completely agree in fact i think almost a perfect sort of triple feature for somebody who's never seen this movie or any movies of the ilk i would say start off with like vfw go home with a shotgun and go mandy and it, it's literally just all of the same ideas just done at so many different levels and with so many different creeds of actors and different sort of takes on the genre. But at the same time, they're kind of all the same. They're just splatter fest celebrations of sort of just pure violence and insanity of the 80s. And I, I think they would all meld really well together. Yeah, right down to having an awesome cameo by Bill Duke to give us exposition, yeah. but also just be like, uh, basically, you aren't going to make it out alive, dude. <laughs> this isn't going to work for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I fought a predator once. I didn't make it out somehow. <laughs> yep. And he was going to bleed him. Leave him there. Real quiet. <laughs> <laughs> but that's why I love also, like, every single part has their own kind of distinctive quality to it. Like, particularly, I love Richard Brake as the chemist, who's so mm-hmm. strung out. Just like, oh, man, that's Lizzie. <laughs> the fucking that, guy, that guy's got a fucking face on him doesn't he like he is perfect in these type of roles as these weird sort of just strung out creepy guys like he's per and he, he works really well in this bit part i really it was really cool seeing richard break yeah, who's your favorite sort of like the smaller side characters james um oh shit now you're putting me on the spot that's what we do <laughs> Okay, I'm just going to fall back on Bill Duke and just from his little van just saying fuck off on the side to him 
without question helping out red be like i've got some got some arrows for you just put them to good use he fits the film for that one scene but it's such a good scene which is such a good transition between red needing that crossbow back to red fire fucking shit up james i'm really disappointed i gave you the Perfect opportunity to mention the greatest underrated MVP of this movie, and you didn't. The best side character is Cheddar Goblin. Cheddar Goblin. It's fucking Cheddar Goblin. Goblin. You're right. <laughs> yeah. Which is, like, I love how there's a real strategy to using that particular commercial, because it comes right after Mandy is horribly burned in a really upsetting, like, genuinely unsettling scene. With, like, particularly when, when um, Nicolas Cage crawls out after getting, like, all his barbed wire hands off, and then he w- crawls over, and her skull is there, and it fucking flies away with the wind. It's so upsetting. And then we have to have a scene where he just watches a really silly, stupid commercial. Why not, though? You know, why not? It, it, you need <laughs> that. You need that relief of just, like, oh, Cheddar Goblin, my savior, Cheddar Goblin, I needed you. Um, and shout out to that was actually done by the guy who did Too Many Cooks. The infamous Adult Swim short, which makes so much sense. Oh yeah, you can tell it's from the same wacky mind as that 14 minute short. It feels like it could be just a segment from Too Many Cooks with just that fucking, that goblin vomiting mac and cheese on those kids. And that's become like its own thing now, where people buy Cheddar Goblin toys and, and things like that. It's so fucking funny to me that this movie basically had cult status before it even came out. Much like Color Out of Space. Before it even came out, people were like, oh fuck yeah. Because, A, it's Richard Stanley, it's Lovecraft, and it's Nick Cage. People were totally into it. Um, and, you know, what? I, I would say even more so The Color Out of Space, which I do like. Uh, Mandy's more deserving of that. Well, yeah, also, I would say what... Usually there are movies that try and do that, where it's like, hey, we're going to cre- manufacture a cult movie, and it doesn't work, usually, when you try and, like, make that insincerely. I think this one works even more so than... I think that's what I would more describe something like Beyond the Black Rainbow, which I saw recently... And I think that one is visually interesting, but it's really cold yep. to me in a way that I'm just like, I, I'm kind of like watching things happen, but I don't care what's happening <laughs> kind of thing with that movie. It, it feels more like, oh, this is a really cool screensaver with a narrative, I guess. <laughs> but uh, th- this movie, I think it, it has like so much of that earned because it like weaves all this stuff together. So not subtly, but with like a it's not a subtle movie um but it weaves it weaves it all together in a way that adam was kind of talking about you don't ever question it like from the start we get like oh okay mandy makes these like art pieces that kind of reflect the visual style of the movie so we know from the start like oh okay yeah this is like going to be a weird surreal kind of pinkish purplish uh kind of colored movie and it's cool we don't mind that yeah we can really jump into it. it it really eases you into the weird style but in a way that feels like you're invested in still what's going on. And I think it helps that Johan Johansson does such mm-hmm. a good score on top of it as well. R.I.P. Yeah, this is one of his posthumous releases. It's such a good score. Score, mm-hmm. yeah, the score is fantastic in this movie. It's it's absolutely incredible. And also melding that with like the King Crimson song at the opening, just like fuck yeah, we're really establishing the tone quite well. It's <laughs> still. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, like you said, pretty much instantly, you get it right off within the first five minutes. Like, this movie's going to be a fucking trip, man. And it, it's exactly what it is. It's it's a fucking acid trip of an 80s horror movie. And it, it's just, it's beautiful. It's so goddamn beautiful. Well, Adam, uh, why don't you move into Final Thoughts? And also, what do you think Cage needs to carry on from this movie as he continues on in his career to kind of keep 
it going at this kind of level? What do you think he needs to kind of like remember from this movie to keep consistent? Uh, well, final thoughts first. I'll say that exactly what I said before. Like this is this is not a movie for everyone. It's a very divisive movie. I know people who absolutely hate this movie too. A there's a lot of people who don't like Nicolas Cage and they're tired of Nicolas Cage and everything like that. So there's a disconnect there for some people. And there's also a disconnect where a lot of people can't just sort of sit back and let a movie go and just go with it where it takes you and, and just whatever. The rules are out the window. Just it is what it is for what it is. And uh, I think this is definitely one of those movies. I, I think if you are trying to make sense of any of it, then you're not going to enjoy it. You kind of just got to watch it and experience it for what it is. It, it's, it's a fucking wild ride, man. Um, and as far as what Nicolas Cage to sort of take from this and keep going, just choosing the right parts for his persona. Like, he's Nicolas Cage in this movie. Like, there's no question. It's Nicolas Cage being crazy Nicolas Cage and Nicolas Cage being subdued Nicolas Cage in parts. But he's still being wild-ass Nicolas Cage. And uh, I think if he just chose the roles that call for that a little bit more than some of the other ones he did, then he could be let off the leash and really sort of have a reemergence as a really good uh, character actor, if not even just stay in the genre and have a genre actor sort of afterthought of a career. Cause like this Colorado space, they give the same sort of chance to be really subdued and then wild in parts and uh, it works. So I think if he, he sort of was a little bit more choosy with the roles that play into his acting style, then I think, uh, I think he could really have a sort of second or third go at fame. Um, it's just all those direct-to-video ones that are just boring messes to where Nicolas Cage, the character, can be played by anybody. Uh, they do no service to him and no service to the movie. Yeah, I would say 2018 was a banner year for him. I think kind of started his modern renaissance where it was like this and Mom and Dad, which is very fun. So good. And then him, of course, in Spider-Man to the Spider-Verse is like such a perfect use of Cage. Spider-Man you are. <laughs> So good. Um, but James, what about you? What are your final thoughts? And also what you think Cage needs to kind of carry on from here with this one? I absolutely love this movie. I think it's such a wonderful mix of beautiful visuals, astounding score, and it's very wonderful to watch. I mean, it's got a fucking chainsaw fight in it. That's badass. But it's also a sad tale about grief and loss and it's got tragedy and it's got a really good chance for Nick Cage to show his acting prowess in a way he hadn't done for a while before this. I mean, in all honesty, I think he deserved at least a nomination for Best Actor that year. I would have rather him than Rami Malek doing a Bugs Bunny impression or Viggo Mortensen folding over a pizza to eat. Hey, 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 hey. You stop insulting my Italian lineage with that. He was so perfect. He he was so Italian. All right, I apologize for insulting your heritage, kind sir. Don't you dare. Don't apologize, Daniel. <laughs> that was not her. Hey, I'm not you, Adam. I cook at a meatball. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, me familiar. <laughs> I would say um, what Nick Cage needs to do is... Well, Adam said it all. He needs to be a bit more selective with his roles. I mean, sure, it does seem like the guy loves his films, but it does seem a bit like I love food doesn't mean I'm going to eat for everything, no matter how 
awful and greasy and poisonous it may be. You're such not an American. True. It's so hot. Oh, gee. <laughs> what about me gave it away? Sorry. Anyways, go ahead. I don't think... Yeah, yeah, finish your final thought. I would say, in terms of what Cage needs to do, he does have some interesting roles coming up. He's working with Sion Sono. He's doing that meta film where he plays himself. Choosing interesting roles, which give him a chance to show off his acting prowess, to remind people why he's an Oscar winner, to remind how good of an actor he can be. I think that's what he needs to do. And I know he's got dinosaur skulls to pay off, but come on, maybe don't do so many director video churning out stuff. You're just making that college humor video about Nick Cage accepts everything being more true. Yeah, I, I would say, especially, I am really excited about the one, the unbearable weight of massive talent is the one where, like, he's playing himself and he's being uh, basically tasked with getting a million dollars by um, going over to the private island of Pedro Pascal, who's his biggest fan. <laughs> I just love that idea. That's fascinating to me. Um, but, yeah, I think the big thing that I would say he needs to carry over as well is just not being afraid to kind of balance off his genuine sort of, like, humanity with the craziness. Because I think that's what gets lost, even in, like, the fun ones that are, like, over-the-top silly, you do lose some of that humanity, so it's just like, oh, this is a fun, silly Nick Cage performance, it's not, like, a real movie. I think this movie does such a great job of balancing those two things, that he needs to, I think, take more roles that allow him to do that, if nothing else. Um, and, you know, where he'll have his kabuki theater influence from Ghost Rider, but also, like, actually feel like a real person. <laughs> At certain points. Uh, I, I just, uh, yeah, I agree with everything that's been said about Mandy, though. I love it. I think it's a phenomenal use of Cage, but also the color palette and Adriana Riceboro and all the other cast members. It's it's a great sort of like weird trippy movie that isn't just about the trippiness, uh, though for the record, as someone who allegedly may or may not have done psychedelic drugs in their time, um, accurate. Allegedly. <laughs> so cool, bro. That's <laughs> the end of our two features we'll be talking about for the evening. Um, but we've got some more feedback to read here, because uh, every Monday at DEDB Pod, we ask y'all, hey, what are your favorite, least favorite movies related to whatever topic we do? Um, and so uh, we got some people, including Mike Gordon of the ESO uh, Earth Station One podcast, says, uh, I believe uh, there are more candidates for bad than good for Nick Cage. But when the part is right, he just shines. Raising Arizona and Wild at Heart might be my favorites. Uh, Brian McNeil at Bry the Botanist says, uh, Colorado Space is my favorite Cage movie. I have to say that the remake of The Wickering is absolutely the worst he has done, since I'm a huge fan of the original movie. Uh, Marie at Swiftly She Flies on Twitter says, Adaptation was probably the most interesting Nick Cage movie I've seen. It's just a wild ride of a movie, and I remember liking him in it too. Um, and then Caged In... A Saint Nick Cage podcast at Cage in Pod, Caged in Pod podcast on Twitter says, uh, best Con Air adaptation leaving Las Vegas. Um, worst Left Behind, Bangkok Dangerous, and 211. Underrated Gems, uh, Red Rock West, Joe, and Vampire's Kiss. And then our buddy Christian Alvarez says, Nicholas Cage is truly an interesting actor, despite his filmography being so mixed between good and bad. He's truly, if anything, an interesting movie star. Uh, some of his best movies are Valley Girl, Leaving Las Vegas, The Rock, Gone in 60 Seconds, Adaptation, Matchstick Men, Mandy, and Into the Spider-Verse. Some of his bad roles, despite a glorious Cage performance, are The Wicker Man, both of his outings as Ghost Rider, Bangkok Dangerous, and Left Behind. I did edit this list a lot because I can talk about Cage all day between his relationship with the Coppola family, his absurd spending habits, and his utterly 
Eternally Fascinating Persona. P.S. No worries about my picks for the best and worst of 2020, Adam. I didn't really see much of 2020's releases, but the actual worst movies I saw last year were Gaudi and The Fanatic, starring your favorite actor, John Travolta. Which, of course, he's referencing from last uh, episode. <laughs> uh, go fuck yourself, Christian. Uh, no, I... Uh... <laughs> I basically agree with everything that was said. I, I'm glad someone threw uh, light on Magic Men. I, I, I really do like Magic Men. I remember, uh, well, of course, Raising Arizona, Moonstruck. Uh, Vampire's Kiss is not a good movie, but it's an amazing Nicolas Cage. Yes. Uh, he's off the wall crazy in that movie, especially for young Nicolas Cage. But yeah, you know, I, I tend to agree with pretty much everything that was said. It, it, the thing is, a lot of people talk shit about him, but everybody sort of is in unison on like, oh no, he can do good movies because these were all good movies. Yeah, like uh, Moonstruck is a favorite in my family. Shocker. That my Italian family likes fucking Moonstruck. It's not why. It's because it's got Cher in it. That's what it is. <laughs> well, look, that's, Your whole family's really Cher. Well, look, that's one of the reasons I'm not going to lie, clearly. Um, But, I mean, everyone in that movie is so fucking good. I think especially, like, Cage works so well because it's another thing where, like, he's genuinely, like, tortured because of, like, what happened in his past. So that's why he lashes out with it, like, I lost my hand! I lost my brain! <laughs> like, stuff like that. But it's really, like, earnest and investing. Um, Plus, uh, I would say... I would argue because I I, re, I watched recently his Oscar-winning performance in Leaving Las Vegas. Not a fan. I, I I completely agree with you. I think it's over the top. I think it's comical. Not to treat the subject matter lightly, but I have no alcoholics. I've been around alcoholics. I've been around people who are drunk. I drink. Uh, nobody acts like that. No. <laughs> nobody falls at a table. Ooh, I'm a prickly pear. <laughs> Like, that doesn't fucking happen. No. Like, it, it, it's so over the top and silly. It's especially a bummer when, like, Elizabeth Shue is giving a performance and she's trying to actually act. She's fucking really good in it. Yeah. yeah she, really she deserved good. an Oscar way more than he did, honestly, because they were both nominated. Yeah, 1,000%. He, I don't know if that, that year feels like just a, no, all right, give to Nicolas Cage sort of year. Well, yeah, it, it feels kind of like that, and also it's it's a bit of this weird thing where like, apparently his inspiration was he went out on binge drinking and his buddy recorded him drunk. So it's like, oh, you based that for your performance. Oh, well, then, okay, let me let me rephrase what I said. Maybe that's how Nicolas Cage acts when he's drunk, <laughs> and if that's it's fine. Not relatable to anyone else in the universe. No, I, I would a thousand percent say either Moonstruck, which he was nominated for, or Adaptation, he, which he was nominated for, he deserved it so much more for either of those. Much better performances either way. Yeah. I agree. Uh, funny enough, I finished leaving Las Vegas about 15 minutes before we started recording this, and I gotta agree. I mean, I went into it with high hopes, because it's the film he's, he won his Oscar for, but so much sting oh oh yeah the soundtrack's terrible like the sting bad cover and don henley (laughs) there's such terrible covers (laughs) 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 giving me ptsd flashbacks and i'd say jesus (laughs) i like the performances but i felt it punished elizabeth shoe's character for a sex work completely agree with that yeah mm, it was not good and um i really like wild at heart nicholas cage and david lynch i thought that was a quite a good combination yes and he gives such a swoon worthy rendition of love me tender 
Raising Arizona is probably my favorite of his. Yeah. He's such a lovable goofball who with their slapstick in his performance and he does bad things, but it's more his actions are misguided. He does them all for good reasons. And I just think he's so wonderful in that. Those are two directors he needs to work with again. Lynch and the Coen mm. brothers. He's never worked with them since those earlier movies. Those the guys like perfectly fit him. <laughs> Which, which is odd to me because the Coen brothers reuse people all the time. Right, yes. So David Lynch. So there's got to be a reason there, though. There has to That's be. That's true. That, this was around the same time of, like, Peggy Sue got married, which she had an infamous kind of, like, issue with, like, Kathleen Turner because he was, like, crazy, evidently. And she was like, I'm just trying to be, like, an actor. <laughs> I don't know what you're doing. Uh, but at the same time, I did rewatch that one, too. I like that movie quite a bit. I think that one kind of got lost in, like, right after Back to the Future and was like, oh, it feels like a ripoff. That's a very cute movie about, like, nostalgia and, like, time travel stuff. And Cage, despite the weird decision of, like, I want to wear huge false teeth and have a pokey from Gumby voice. It's It really oh works God. for me, though, with that movie. I think particularly, there's that bit where Kathleen Turner's coming on to him, and he's talking about, like, oh, I want to have sex with you, I want to see your thing. And he says, you mean my hwang? <laughs> <laughs> it's such a funny line. <laughs> it's so stupid. Beautiful. <laughs> I forgot. That is a good one. <laughs> I'll just mention one more film, um, Left Behind, which is actually the first film I've watched in 2021. It's all uphill from here. It just evangelical propaganda bullshit. And boy, is it. <sighs> Hold on. Now. I think that's a very interesting story. If you look at it in the sort of like the fantasy realm or things like that, it's a cool idea to where, you know, obviously we even saw it in the HBO show, The Leftovers where the rapture happens and these people are taken and everybody that's left has to deal with it and everything. The problem is they sit on a fucking airplane, first of all. Second of all, you got Nicolas Cage like trying to be, oh, I don't know. Oh, landing flaps down. Like, it's so stupid. But at its core, it is. it could be a really interesting idea. It, it, it's handled with kids' gloves because, like, oh, we don't want to offend anybody. Well, just do make a good movie. Yeah, it's it's also just like really boring. It's such a dull movie where just like they either hang on on the airplane or at the airport, and she's like, "Yeah, so uh, your mom, Lydia Thompson, got raptured, I guess, because she believed in Christ." And I believe in Kabuki. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas the Muslim guy on the plane doesn't get raptured. No, or the kid from the Blind Side, and the only other movie I think he did. <laughs> yeah. Period. Um, but I'll say also just some of the other bad ones to me. I would say, I, I said this on the first show and I still agree. I don't like either Ghost Rider. I would say the first one's worse. The first one is a lot more boring to me. Yeah, the, yeah, I agree. First one is way, way worse. Um, um, yeah. Even if you base it solely on his sort of, in quotes, chemistry with Ava Mendez, which doesn't exist. Uh, you know, the first Ghost Rider is terrible. It's absolutely terrible. The second one's not good either, but at least it has that sort of kinetic feel to it because it's, you know, the guys who did Crank and everything. Like, it's still wild. He's scratching at the door. Pissing <laughs> <laughs> fire. Come on. Right, exactly. Um, and I would say of his bigger budgeted ones, um, this is, I think, the movie that got him to start doing these, like, bad directed video movies was Sorcerer's Apprentice. I would say is his worst, like, huge budget movie. Because it's like, it's so much like that. <laughs> it's from this time when Disney was like, hey, we don't own uh, Marvel or Star Wars yet. Let's just uh, do whatever we can to get little boys interested in our fucking products. Uh, Tron Legacy. Uh, yeah. 
John Carter. Uh, Prince of Persia. Yeah, Prince of... Oh, God. Jake Gyllenhaal. Jake Gyllenhaal is the Prince of Persia. Yeah, oh, really? oh, nothing God. wrong with that at all. Right? Oh, oh, oh. Um, or even, like, the one that I remember, like, so many people love, like, the compilation, but this movie's also just really terrible outside of the cage moments, is Deadfall. Like, everyone knows it for Cage going silly. Um, with, like, him in, like, oh, the, yeah. like in the Tony Clifton makeup and shit. <laughs> Which is, like, he looks hilarious, and the compilations are funny, but it's mostly just an awful dull movie. I agree. But then also just some good ones I wanted to mention that aren't, like, my favorites, because everyone mentioned, like, a lot of the favorites, but ones especially I watched recently. The Trust is an underrated one, I think, the one with him and Elijah Wood, where they play um, Las Vegas PD guys that try and break into the safe. Very solid little heist thriller I would recommend to anybody. What was it bad? Um, his first big role in Valley Girl, I think, is quite cute. Like, I think he has, like, a really fun kind of, like, punk role that works as, like, going off of, um... The lead character, I think that one's a pretty fun, especially early Cage. Um, and I just recently watched Lord of War. He's very good in it, and it's a very like underrated satire. I like that movie quite a bit. That yeah. was originally going to be one of my choices. We were talking about this. I think that's a very sort of underrated movie. I don't think it's perfect, but I think it's it's pretty fucking good. Um, did you guys ever see Trespass with him and Nicole Kidman? The final Joel Schumacher film. No. Oh, <laughs> baby, don't watch it. <laughs> it's just boring. It's not terrible. It's just boring. Luckily, yeah. And, and would we all say that probably the peak of silly Nick Cage is Bad Lieutenant, right? Yeah. Yeah. Sounds yeah. Did right. you watch it? Have you seen that one? I, I watched it when it came out initially in under bad circumstances because I watched it on a plane. It was the bad place oh, to watch no. it. Um, and then I watched yeah. it again recently, and that movie actually plays even better now because it's this weird thing where Nick Cage is this corrupt cop who does horrible, like, drug-fueled crazy things, and the police department's like, yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> Just let him do that. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, it not play- a, not, but honestly, not a terrible movie. It's really not that bad. It's this weird ingenious, it's okay. it's this weird ingenious thing of, like, hey, we're going to have Cage do this in the middle of a script that was written by, like, a Law & Order writer. It feels like the beats are very like Law and Order episode, but with a corrupt cop. Um, and then Warner Herzog doing it, so he's just like, I want to add silly things like crocodiles and iguanas. Break me the baby. <laughs> Put a baby in it. <laughs> That's why I love Baby Yoda so much. Remind me of the iguanas. <laughs> the cold water in the prison is like your souls, inescapable. <laughs> yes, dude. And then just, I love how everybody reacts off Nick Cage, like either Val Kilmer, who's just like, what, dude, no, whatever. Like, come on, it's fine. Sure. Or Exhibit is weirdly so fun yeah. as a straight man. Just like, man, you're crazy. <laughs> about to pimp your ride. Uh-huh. <laughs> I heard you like drugs, so I put drugs in your drugs. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I heard you like drugs, so reach out your dashboard. Those are little razor blades and dollar bills rolled up. <laughs> remember when we tried to make Exhibit a movie star? Yeah. That was a weird remember time. Remember that guy, buddy? Yeah, it didn't work out too well. Same with him and Ja Rule. <laughs> oh, you know what? I'll say, what is a movie that you would love Nick Cage to do, especially like maybe a franchise you could join in on? I've been thinking about this. I would love to see Cage in the Fast and Furious franchise. I, I literally was oh. about to that's a good idea oh john wick four <gasps> true he would be perfect for a john wick oh, yes completely agree with he that. would 
really good at John Wick movie, dude. One of those two, I could see. Uh, what about James? Do you have any suggestions for that? What do you want to see him pop up in? Well, my instinct's the obvious ones. Marvel, Star Wars, but then I think, no, I can do better. And you guys are just overshadowing me with your great ideas. So I don't fucking know. I'll just, I'll just bow to your better ideas. What about some cool, like having him a sheriff in a new Friday the 13th movie or having him in the Halloween movie as, as like one of the sheriffs trying to take down Michael Myers or something, something like that could really work for him too. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Or even, um, even with the Marvel thing, I think he would work perfectly in like a guardians movie as a villain. Yes. Agreed. Imagine him as Galactus. Okay, he, he fulfills his dream of finally mm-hmm. becoming Galactus. I, I wouldn't be fucking surprised, though. I wouldn't be surprised. And you know what? Might work. Because look at the voice work in, in, uh, into the Spider-Verse. True. It could have been Nicolas Cage in a big stupid purple helmet. I mean, it should be. <laughs> but it couldn't. In Mandy, he does some of those like voice-generated things. Just like, oh, I'm your god. Now that's Galactus, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Let's be honest, he probably already bought the Galactus suit. He's probably got it in his closet, and he's doing four director video sequels to pay it off or something. I don't know, but even if he was able to be Superman in that Teen Titans Go movie, he's still just like, I want to wear the cape. Let me wear the cape. <laughs> the thing is, they would turn him into something stupid, where he's like Dom's uncle, or, you know... Something dumb. It just it, it would be silly. Or he's he's uh, Paul Walker's father or something comes back and he's trying to yeah it, it just I don't know but I, that but the absurdity of that franchise right it would fit perfectly the the franchise would work perfectly for him. I, I actually I'd be on board for either of those. Or even mm-hmm. if he just played like the evil like brother younger brother of like Kurt Russell's character. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, regardless, we just want to see more Cage there. Oh, you know what? One last hot take. I'm not a fan of National Treasure. I don't get the meme obsession with National Treasure. Me neither. I don't see the appeal. Even hotter take, I don't like either of those two movies. I slightly prefer the second one. No, I agree. The second one has more silly shit where it's just like, hey, we're going to kidnap Bruce Greenwood, the president, and there's a, like, code hidden inside of the oval office desk that we have to decode um and hey we have to make sure i clear my grandfather's name from being associated with the abraham lincoln assassination that's fun and plus there's also a bit james where he's in britain and he starts insulting a bunch of brits and starts singing the i have a love a bunch of coconuts song good to know he's at war with my people Okay. <laughs> Should he be in like some Mary Poppins three or some bullshit doing a bad Dick Van Dyke accent, James? Is that what we need? No, he should be Mary Poppins. Of course, that's true. Sorry, Emily Blunt. It's gotta be Cage. Uh, but thank you all for that feedback. We also want to thank some other people, like Chris Oliver for the intro and outro music used in our show. Listen more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Thanks to Emily Scarter for the art provided for our show, and thanks to our patrons over at patreon.com slash uh where if you just pay $1 a month or one pound, depending on which vicinity you're at, what country you're in, um, you can get exclusive content like our bonus episodes that we record at least one every month, um, and we also do polls where you guys get to pick about certain movies we do, like you all voted, as I mentioned, for next, or upcoming good movies even we do like uh right now around this time this episode's coming out there will be a poll for my good picks for our upcoming episode about netflix we're finally covering the streaming giant and um so my two good picks for that are two movies i actually haven't seen so you all are guiding me in this particular thing but i've heard great things about uh cargo 
the zombie movie uh, starring Martin Freeman, and then The Night Comes for Us, the action movie from featuring a lot of people from the Raid movie. Oh, I've seen both of those. Please, patience. Come on, guys. Give us The Night Comes for Us. Tom's well-versed in martial arts movies. This is a perfect one. Give us this one. It's so uh, fucking good. I gotta agree. The Night, I haven't seen Cargo, but The Night Comes for Us, I fucking love it. You're gonna so, have a fun time with it. Well, that all depends on people who vote. Like James, one of our patrons, of course, who I think James. we know where he's voting now, based on what we've just been uh, talking about. Uh, but aside from being a patron, James, just thanks for being a guest, coming back on. We love having you here. Why don't you plug yourself? Where can people find you on the interwebs? Well, thank you for having me back, even though Adam, I presume, was dead set against it. Oh, um, yeah, without a doubt. You can catch me over on Twitter, letterbox at RoddersJ04, spelt with two Ds. And um, I mainly post about film stuff there. I, I try to be funny as well. I post pictures of my dog, and he's attention-grabbing little shit. But um, I just try and have a presence on there. But I also write film reviews and articles at thereviewingrodders.co.uk and I hope you'll check it out. Yeah, we'll have some links in the description, I'm sure, if you want to immediately get your Rodders fix. Um, and you can uh, find uh, us on Twitter and Facebook at DEDBpod, where, as I mentioned, we like to post around every Monday about those feelers asking for your favorite, least favorite things related to a topic. And also, uh, you can send emails to us, doubleedgedoublebill at gmail.com, all spelled out. And uh, you can still buy, you know, our merch with our logo on it's the new year you need yourself a new face mask need yourself a new coffee mug need yourself um maybe a new t-shirt a hoodie a t-shirt you probably get pillowcases maybe bed sheets maybe fucking condoms we don't know just go crazy with it guys Uh, it depends on the t public store for the eso network i'm not sure if all of those items will be available because adam bought all of them he bought all the condoms unfortunately i'm so sorry guys no i don't use them I, I make balloon animals out for the kids. <laughs> for the kids, <laughs> clearly. Um, and uh, you can find me doing my own stuff uh, at Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd as at not the who's Tommy. Um, and I also do some writing at marionithomas.wordpress.com. Yeah, and you can find me on Twitter or Instagram at Atom or Adam. That's A T O M underscore or underscore A D A M. I mostly just post pictures of things I've painted, once occasionally uh, a silly meme or pictures of my kid. And uh, I will also share whatever the hell you want me to share. I'm very generous uh, in that aspect. So you can thank me uh, all the time by uh, joining the Patreon and becoming an edgelord, donating a dollar a month. Thank me for all of this with a dollar. <laughs> yes, for sure. And uh, for more uh, gratitude you can find, uh, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and other podcasting platforms. If you're listening on the ESO Network, why not listen to our other great shows, uh, fellow podcasts on the ESO Network. And uh, you can also uh, dig into our archives on our Podbean main feed for a bunch of ones we didn't post even before we joined ESO. And if nothing else, if you can't buy our merch at Tee Public Store or Become a patron, like Adam said. If you could just rate, review, or share the show around, that helps us get more visibility out there. Yeah, that works too. If I share your shit, share mine, motherfucker. I don't <laughs> understand what the fucking problem with that is. It's give and take. A share for a share. Share for a share. Share yes. for a share. Clearly. Share and share alike. Yes. Uh, but we are moving on now from Cage to another person celebrating a birthday for our next episode topic. We are doing Mr. Steven Soderbergh. He's such a fascinating director. James, do you agree? You, you like Mr. Soderbergh's work? 
Oh yeah, I barely scratch the surface on this stuff, but I adore what I've seen, and I think he's such an interesting filmmaker that flits about through genres and ideas, and has such a good, has such a talent, whatever he touches. Yeah, and just even with technology, like I love what he's been doing. Like mm. he's like been innovating with like the fucking iPhones. And she's just shooting multiple movies on there and make them look really good. But um, I have the two good movies for this topic. Adam has the two bad. And usually uh, we each have uh, these two movies of ours assigned number between 1 and 10. And the other person will pick number between 1 and 10. And uh, that'll get closest to whichever movie that gets us a good and bad feature. But when we got a guest like James, they do the picking. So you guess the next number, James. Don't look into the future two minutes ahead. I think I'll go for number two. Okay, for my two good picks, uh, number two gets us closest to, at number five, I have a movie appropriate for James to pick because uh, of the title. Uh, I have the Terrence Stamp underrated gem, The Limey. Of fucking course. Love that movie. Such a great movie. Great movie. movie. I can't wait to talk about it. It's so great. Absolutely. Um, And then at number nine, I had uh, his original film, Sex, Lies, and Videotape, which I've actually never seen. Also, a really good movie. Very, very good movie. Very good, uh, spader. Good movie. Now I'm very curious for Adam's bad picks, because there's a lot of ways this could go. He's done a lot of different mm. movies. He's done some shit. <laughs> well, James. Let's go for number seven. At number eight, I have a movie I am. I don't know if I've seen, but I am aware of, and I know it's kind of universally hated. I have Full Frontal. Oh, okay, yeah, I've, I have not seen this one. That's interesting. Yeah, it's Julia Roberts, and I forget yeah. who else is in it. I, I've never seen it. I just know it's kind of universally maligned. At number one, I had The Informant with Matt Damon. That's one where I I don't like that movie, but I think Damon's performance is, like, fun enough to make it watchable. Yeah, but that's it, though. Right. No, that's one of the lesser ones. Yeah, that's not a bad choice, either. Hey, everybody, this is Thomas. Um, I'm in the middle of editing the episode right now, so this is a message from the future. Uh, This is just a quick programming note that uh, post-recording, Adam and I did some research uh, about Full Frontal. And it's availability on streaming, and we found out it's not really available on streaming at all, which was a hindrance to us doing it for the show. So, um, instead of doing that, we're going to switch over to doing The Informant, since that is actually available to at least rent in certain places like Amazon and stuff, as opposed to Full Frontal, which is literally just not available at all. So we'll be doing that along with The Limey on our Steven Soderbergh episode next week. But, uh... Back to the program. But, on that note, everybody, uh, we hope you have a happy new year, and we hope you don't get caged in for too much longer. And uh, I will say goodbye, and uh, for James, I'll say, Chip, chip, cheerio, I've got to wet myself. (laughs) You're such a prick.
has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.